Hey guys, welcome back to Death by Stereo. I'm RJ. Brent. TJ's going to get you in there for it. So we're going to start this out the way we always do with this year in horror. So 1990 was the year that we picked this time. It coincides with uh, our third and final movie choice of the week. So scrolling down the list here, uh, we've got a few good ones right off the bat. Child's Play 2 came out in 1990. Um, I know that if you listen to our Child's Play Spotlight episode, um, that's one of our all three favorites, I believe. I think it was top two or three for every one of us, if I remember correctly. Child's Play 2? Yeah. Uh, Child's Play 3 was up there for most of us. Yeah, for sure. Um, Nightbreed, I know that TJ has not seen this. RJ, I don't think you've seen it or probably even heard of it, have you? I have not even heard of it. Wes Craven? Okay. It's a movie... Yeah, it's not Wes Craven. It's not Wes Craven? No. Uh, what was I thinking <gasps> of? It's, um... Rejected. Clive Barker. Clive Barker. Okay, I knew it was one of the horror icons, but... Um, I watched it on Netflix a few years ago. Um, it's about this group of monsters that this guy dies and he kind of befriends them. <clears throat> It was really good. It was something I, I wouldn't mind getting and bringing to one time. Um, Kathy Bates is the main character in Misery. Have you guys seen that? Yep. Stephen King adaptation. Very, very good. That's a movie I kind of want to show RJ. Sometime. Yeah. I think you'd like that a lot. Have I, you, if you haven't seen it. I, I know I've it. heard of it, but I can't I, I can't think of what it's about. I, I don't think I've seen it. It's uh, That guy is an author, and he gets in a car accident and, like, the middle of nowhere in the winter and he gets dragged into this woman's house who's like a super fan it's obsessed with him and it sounds familiar yeah i think yeah. You, if you haven't you would like it yeah it's it's really good put it on the list yeah the night of the living dead i think it's the color version came out in 1990 um is it the tom savini remake i wonder yep is it? okay that one actually <clears> like that one a lot um i still prefer the original black and white version obviously it's the classic but the color version, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was a, I mean, it's pretty much a shot-by-shot shot remake, but I think, I don't think there's too many changes, but I enjoyed that a lot. Um, Frankenhooker is one that I have not seen, but I've heard a lot of people talk about it. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Yeah. I've heard, okay. I agree with you. I've heard a lot of people talk about it, but I've not yeah. seen it. Yeah, it's one I've, I've wanted to track down and see. I don't even know what it's about. I mean, it, obviously, besides the title and stuff, I can kind of assume, but... It's not one I've, I've it seems come like across. Seems like it would be up your alley. Yeah. Out of the three of us. A little goofy for sure. There's three right here that I own and love. Flatliners, featuring one of the actors, Kevin Bacon, we'll talk about later. Have you seen that with Kiefer Sutherland? Um, yeah, I, I've seen that in the remake. I didn't okay. really like either one of them, to be really? honest. But okay. That's just my opinion. I haven't seen the remake. The original, I, I bought it and watched it recently, and it was kind of slow at parts, but I, I still like it. It could just be the actors in it. I mean, it had kind of had an all-star cast with... Keeper Sutherland, Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon. I mean, that's yeah, they were all like young and hot yeah, at that time. It was like a pretty heavy, heavy cast. But uh, next, it's uh, the TV adaptation of It, which what's kind of relevant now since Chapter Two is about to come out in theaters, and um, we've all seen that, correct? You've seen It, right? The original. Oh, a long time ago. I can't remember. Okay. Most of it, but yeah, that's classic. And I then, still like it. It's yeah. I mean, I, I think we'll have to see part two and then put those together to really see which one is the best. I just don't see the new it passing the old up for me. Maybe you can say it's nostalgia, but I just have <clears> a, <throat> Tim Curry's Pennywise just can't be I think that's what opinion. it is. Like the three of us, I mean, I know we're not all the same exact age, but we grew up around the same time and that was out when we were young. So I yeah. think 
that's always going to be the one that terrified us or freaked us out. The yeah. new one is just kind of fun for us because it's it is it's a better like production value and like yeah. so it's 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 a better movie, better made movie. But like we'll always have that one as that's the one that creeped us out as kids. But Tim Curry ruined clowns for me. Yeah. When I was younger. I mean, I I didn't even see actually watch the movie until I was I want to say in my teens, but. I, I just remember the scene with Georgie. That's all I saw, and that was enough to ruin clowns for me for the rest of my life. I still, when I walk over like storm drains, um, you like I kind of peer down, like, hmm, I'm be a little, I'm gonna walk around this thing, be a little careful. I, I definitely think Tim Curry's the strongest part of that movie yeah. because no matter how good the the two new it movies are, I still think Tim Curry's a better Pennywise than Bill Skarsgård's gonna be personally. Yeah, I, I think my biggest beef, and now seeing the trailer, um, have we all seen the trailer for part two? I'm assuming. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, I liked it. I'm excited, but I think that the part that bugs me the most, and you know, anybody that's listened will kind of understand, just based from my opinion, is I feel like they just put too much CGI with him, and they they don't let Bill Skarsgård act as much. I feel like they're always trying to make his Pennywise do some crazy thing and where that requires CGI. And I just feel like it takes, takes me out of it personally. It does. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just gonna, I mean, it does because, um, just think of, uh, I can't, I can't remember his name. Who's, who played the, uh, clown in Dark Knight? The Joker? Oh, the Joker? He, I mean, when he act, you could see his, I mean, for God's sakes, he went without sleep for, I think, a week or something to actually play that role. More than that. And Skarsgård could do, I mean, his personality shines through the character. His personality makes that character. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I would completely agree with that. I almost compare it to Robin Williams and Will Smith with Aladdin. I don't know if you guys watched that. The Rob- new one? Yeah. I haven't been watching the new one now. So, I mean, they were, they're both really good, but Will Smith comes at it from a different angle. He intentionally did that because he said that he wanted to give Robin Williams his credit because he didn't think he could live up to his He could, his there's name. no way. But he, so he came at it from a different direction. Yeah. Which I think Skarsgård could do fairly well if they would just let him be him. I think he is bringing his own spin to it, but I think they just... They make him... CG so much that it he you can't act with CG you know you can't there's no facial expressions they make them on a computer yeah. so it's like I feel like I like Skarsgård and I think he's done a, a fine job but I just think that him on his own would be scary and, and good enough if they didn't do the CG like I, I know it's hard because this came out in 1990 it was a TV movie the practical effects were all they had there was no CG or anything and so I knew that they had they have more available for this but i just feel like it's a crutch in some parts well that's what my comment earlier was going to be is in regards to what you're talking about cgi is it doesn't matter to me how the, how much more budget this new one has like if you're that good of an actor like tim curry like they had a low budget but he killed that role and to me still does a better job than Skarsgård, and the CGI, like you said, is a big thing that has that affected my opinion of that performance because you watch that first opening scene with in in the storm drain with Georgie and his mouth the whole time he's sitting there talking to hey Georgie like it's like you it looks CGI yeah. the whole time and I'm like what's up with this fucking mouth like that's not even his real teeth or anything and like yeah. I it did take me away from it because yeah. I'm like that first scene with with Tim Curry fucking terrifying like i and it sat with me for years and like i see this one and i'm like how are kids supposed to be afraid of like his mouth looked like a cartoon like well and the the scene that actually like reminded me i was in a theater is when he actually killed georgie 
and George's crawling away, and his mouth, like, shoots out, like, this, almost like a graboid we'll talk about later, and I'm just like, you don't need that, like, just have him bite his arm off, like, that, that stuff bothers me, and yeah. maybe people don't care. I, I mean, they, the one thing they did in the new one with that scene that was better was they showed Georgie kind of, like, bleeding out and his arm being bitten off. Yeah. I like that they actually showed that where they didn't show it in the 90s version. Yeah. But imagine if they hadn't used the CGI on his mouth yeah. as much. Yeah. That scene could have been even better. It would have been better. And it, see, and that's my kind of my next point is that leads me to believe, do we think that Skarsgård just can't carry the performance and that they're having to make up for it? Do you think they just want to rely on CG? I mean, because of the big budget and because it's Hollywood. I think it's the second, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. Well, and it's because it's if you remember in the old it, like it just it shows him kind of attacking Georgie and then it fades away. If you think about it, how could he use just his mouth and still give you a sense of terror like the the, the mouth that kind of goes after him? Maybe they could just one? not show it. Yeah, I, I, but then it takes away from what you just pointed out. Like the scene that I really appreciated is when Georgie has his arm no. ripped off and he's trying to crawl well, away and the you know. Well, let me clarify too, like. I don't mean not show the arm. You're, I mean, well, you don't even have to show his mouth, like, transformed to anything. They could just break away and then show Georgie, like, with his arm like that. Yeah. I don't know. I just... I mean, I've, I've talked about it on here a lot of times. It just bothers me because CG, when it's not needed, takes me out of it. And I just feel like it was so much scarier back <clears throat> in 1990 with a probably low budget and just Tim Curry... He was just charming, and he was scary when he had to be. And Bill Skarsgård has done a fine job, but I just feel like it's not hitting as hard for me. I think, for me, personally, I think CGI mostly bothers me in horror movies. Like, yeah. I don't care if I'm watching, like, The Avengers well, sure. or something, because, like, you know what I mean? Because, like, yeah. I feel like that, it does work better. I feel the same it's way. like, you look at, like, I mean, Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. That was good in the 70s, but, I mean, you'd be lying, I feel like, if you would rather see that in The Avengers sure. movie than, like... CGI Hulk, but I think it's mostly horror that it bugs me. Me like, too. Well, and like, again, I'm not, I don't watch a Transformers movie expecting practical effects. Like, I, I, CG has a time and a place, you know, Lord of the Rings, The Matrix, all that stuff. I, didn't, I don't care about that, but I think you nailed it. And horror bugs me because we've seen what practical effects can do, and to me, that's just always better. And just imagine with the technology we have, how much better practical effects are today. You know, like, right. Like I, I was, I've been watching a bunch of 80s movies where, you know, somebody gets their throat cut, and you can see, like, the appliance. It's a different color than their skin. But imagine the budget now. Like, when you, the rare time when you see practical effects, like, it, it's seamless. It's perfect. So you that, think, that bugs me. And you would think that practical effects nowadays could, with the way things have just evolved and improved, they could be even better than they were. And we would still appreciate the fact that they took the time and the effort to put that work into a practical effect rather yeah. than sat on a computer and animated it. I mean, that, you know, you two know me, that, that, give, I give bonus points for that. Even if a movie's not that great, like, you know, you two didn't love Wolf Cop, but they use practical effects nine times out of ten, <laughs> and that, that is huge for me, because that just shows me you care more. CG might be more expensive, but it, it to me, it's like, it's like lifeless, you know, like, there's like, it's hollow, whereas practical effects, somebody put their time and effort and hard work into it. Well, and not to jump too much ahead, but that's one thing I appreciated about one of the movies we're going to talk about, which I'm sure you know which one it is, but, um, like, I'll go ahead and say it was just Werewolf of London, American Werewolf of London. The old Wolfman from the 40s, they actually had to phase in each of the sequences where, I don't know, the it looked like it was, you know, 
absolutely practical effects, but, awesome. but it looked brutal, it looked painful, yeah. and it, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, no, I, I get it, but we won't spend too much time on this, because we have more to talk about. Um, another movie, I know TJ has seen this, wasn't a huge fan, have you seen Arachnophobia, RJ? I have not. Okay. Uh, I would, I don't know, I'd bring that one. Um, it wouldn't be one at the top of my list at all, but I, I enjoy it, it was, um, I think, is it, it's not John, John Goodman's in it. Um, and Harry from Dumbo. Yeah, yeah. It's Jeff Daniels? Jeff Daniels, yeah. yeah. So it's this small town. Is This guy's on, like, an archaeological dig in, like, South America or something, and he gets bit by a spider, and the spider actually ends up in the coffin with him, and they ship the coffin back to the U.S., and this spider ends up mating with the local spiders and creating, like, not big spiders. They're, small, they're regular-sized spiders, but they're, like, twice as deadly, and it starts mm-hmm. killing the small town. I don't know. I really, really enjoyed it. Um... It's definitely... So, you're just not a huge fan of it in general? You watched it and... Yeah, it was just kind of boring to me. Yeah, that's um, I don't have, like, a drawn-out, academically sure. explanation for why I don't like it, yeah. but I'm sure if we watched it again, I could explain reasons why, yeah. but I just remember not being too entertained. I was kind of bored. See, I saw it as a kid, and I think that was one of the early horror movies I was allowed to watch, because it's not super, super scary, and it's not anything that's, like... You know, like, it didn't give me nightmares or anything. So yeah. I, I think I had a little bit of nostalgia oh, from it. I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the, uh, it was practical yeah. effects for the spiders. That sure. was cool. I can appreciate that. Yeah. It just, it's not something that I really want to rewatch. No, that's fair. Uh, I know you guys haven't seen the first Basket Case, obviously. No. I really enjoyed it. But Basket Case 2 came out in 1990. I've never seen that. Um, I mean, I was, I watched Basket Case on Amazon Prime, and I haven't seen Basket Case 2 anywhere else, otherwise I would, but. Basket Case 1 was fun enough, I would give another try for sure. Troll 2 is one I was talking with TJ about, and it's probably the worst movie I've ever seen, but I loved it. Of course you did. <laughs> there, well, there was actually a documentary, I think it was made, called The Worst Movie Ever Made, and it was... So, it's called Troll 2, but it has nothing to do with the first troll. It was essentially just a marketing ploy to get people to give it a chance. And... Um, it's an Italian director, and I guess he had a hard time communicating with some a lot of the American cast, and it was just an absolute nightmare. But, I mean, it is the worst acted movie I've ever seen. It's the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's great. Is it worse than The Room? I've never seen The Room, but <laughs> if, if this was meant to be serious, and it, it was So is The Room. Laughable. It's bad. I mean, it, We'd have to watch them both. Yeah, it <laughs> may be. But, I mean, this was... It was hilariously bad, but I, I don't know. I like it. It was... It was ridiculous. I think the worst movie I've ever seen actually isn't even The Room. It's Birdemic. It's called Birdemic I Shock and Terror. I watch Birdemic, dude. Just because it's, I mean, it's terrible. Wasn't it meant to be terrible, though? No. Oh, no, God. it was this guy from, I want to say either China. He was Asian, and he was like, had this dream of making the next Alfred Hitchcock's Birds, oh, and it was just God. freaking awful. Like, I think <laughs> right now they've got a, um, They've got a version of it on Amazon Prime where these guys do commentary. Yeah, I saw that. With tracks or something like yeah. that. And it's just as funny, but you might want to see it without their commentary. That's why I didn't first. want to watch it, because that was on there. But the riff tracks thing is really funny. Yeah. Maniac um. Cop 2 came out in 1990. I've never seen the first one. Um, the only thing is, Maniac Cop 2 is on Amazon Prime, but not the first one. So I, I'm irritated, because I want to watch the first one, so I'll watch the second one. I can but... let you borrow it. Okay. Yeah, I... I... I'm interested for sure. It's just so Maniac and Maniac or Maniac Cop and Maniac Cop, Maniac Cop Two are um, William Lustig, the guy that made the movie Maniac. Okay. So it's nice. kind of funny. It's like he's got a whole all his movies are Maniac. Yeah, Gremlins Two, the new batch. I have seen 
I feel like I've seen bits and pieces, but I don't know that I've ever seen it beginning to end. Um, have you guys seen that? Yep. Or, yeah. Like I figured you had. It's not bad. It's. Yeah. I mean, it's not as good as the more first comedy. one, but um, we could watch that sometime. Yeah. I've got both of them. Nice. Demon Wind is another vinegar, vinegar syndrome that I've got on my prime list that I'll probably watch pretty soon because it looks the cover looks badass and it's like about a, a possession of this girl it looks kind of fun. What so. I've heard is it's like a really bad knockoff version of Evil Dead. Hmm. I wasn't a huge Evil Dead fan, so maybe I like this even more. Maybe I'll you know, maybe I'll hate it. But the last thing I see that I, I do enjoy is Predator Two. Uh, I like Predator One ten times better. <laughs> But Predator 2 is fun. I'm only laughing because I thought you were going to say something else. Oh, no. <laughs> we had, I remember back on our Maniac episode with Todd, I, I had said I kind of like Predator 2 better, and you guys were like, what? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> and it was just kind of funny. <laughs> See, to me, that's... I, you know, and again, I well, I think we can relate to that. We try to be... We, yeah, we try, <laughs> yeah, it's coming back around. Charles, play 3, damn it. It sucks. But... I, I mean that's that's fine. I just I love Predator One and I like Predator Two a lot, but Predator One to me is just it's the best of the series and nothing yeah, can ever touch it. I don't know if I can pick a favorite to be honest. I do I just think I think I was sticking up for it so much because it usually gets a lot of shit. I like it, but, but I, I just, do like one because I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Just a bunch of yoked up dudes with big guns running around the jungle. It's badass. I, I was a big uh, Arnold fan growing up, yeah, so I do I can't say I didn't love that one. Yep. Uh, I did w- want to mention one more. I forgot. Uh, Liam Neeson is actually in Darkman, which is kind of like a um, horror <clears throat> superhero. Uh, RJ, have you seen that or even heard of it? I neither. TJ, you have. I know you've heard of it. Have you seen it? I mean, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Okay. Isn't it? Is it Sam Raimi? Yes. That's actually one I saw. I mean, it came out. I was four years old when it came out, and uh, I saw it early on uh, after that, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I watched it recently, and it's just it's just fun. They made two sequels I've never seen and didn't know about. Uh, Liam Neeson's not needed one, obviously, kind of one off, but uh, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's because he got uh, Schindler's List and became a real actor. Yeah, he got he got too big. Yeah, it's it's funny how that happens with people like like Jennifer Aniston hates the fact that she was in Leprechaun, and it's always funny when people get like an early role in a in a horror movie. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, he yeah he wasn't too fond of of Tremors. We'll talk about later, but it's it, it, it's just funny how. They get it's like a stigma, like working in horror is like like blacklist you from like serious roles. I don't know. I maybe because we're horror fans, I think that's a little silly, but yeah, don't, don't forget your roots. Exactly. Uh, have you guys seen Brain Dead with Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton? You know, it's funny because I started watching that on Amazon at one point and I never continued, so I'm gonna say no. Even I, though I saw like the beginning half of it. I want to watch it because it's I I've always seen the cover of a guy with like a stretched out face and it's mm-hmm. always just looked neat so i've never but i've never found anywhere to watch it but um puppet master 2 came out i've yet to watch puppet masters yet and then silent night deadly night 4 initiation have you seen that one no i've stopped after the second i never okay. saw all the ones after two do you own any more besides the first two no just no. the first two okay. I obviously haven't seen, any, seen anything past the first one but i don't know that i'm really interested in going past because i yeah i think that's Pretty much like the two yeah. that are supposed to be good. And then Leatherface, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, I've never seen that one. Yeah, uh, that's one of my least favorites in the it? series. Okay. Uh, Graveyard Shift by Stephen King, I've never seen that either. But, yeah, that's that's this year in horror, 1990. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a, I wouldn't say it's a huge year compared to some of the ones we've heard last year, but <clears throat> we obviously got some, some heavy hitters with, you know, with It, 
with Tremors, uh, with Child's Play 2, Night of the Living Dead. I mean, there's, there's some good ones in there. So any of the ones that we've mentioned you haven't seen, check them out. So I think that's it for this. What's all what's next on the agenda? I think RJ had a story for um, horror in real life, so I'll let him take off. Are you sure you don't want to do yours, TJ? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So I can't remember names or... I actually don't even think they gave it. It was just a story that I came across on YouTube. So essentially... Um, and this one's kind of creepy enough to where you could actually picture it happening. This woman was driving along this uh, dirt road somewhere down in the back hills. And it was at night, and she sees a hitchhiker. And so, of course, she's a good Samaritan and stops over and actually picks up this guy. So they're driving along, and they're making conversation, and um, she's doing most of the talking. He's, you know, throwing the ball back a little bit. And eventually they get to where they're going, and she, he asks her for her phone number just to... Because they had talked about his life situation, his, his job, and stuff like that. And so he just said, you know, when things get better for me, can I just reach out to you and, you know, update you on my current situation? And she gladly gave him the number and told her, you know, said, yeah, reach out, reach back out to me. So a couple of days passed and she didn't forget about him, but, it, you know, it wasn't in the, isn't it, wasn't in her mind. And she gets a, you know, random call. So she answers it and it's the guy. And, you know, he basically tells her, he says, never pick up another hitchhiker. He said, um, you know, my plan the entire time was basically to murder you and take your car and steal everything you had. He said the only thing that stopped me was when you started talking, the impact that, you know, just how you talked and how the impression that I got from you just by how nice you were. He said that's the only reason that stopped me from doing what I was planning on doing. He said, promise me you will never pick up another hitchhiker. So she promised, and he hung up, and she called back, and it ended up being a telephone booth off on the side of the road somewhere that he he had called her from. Hmm. So not the not the most detailed story, but definitely something that you could picture happening, especially nowadays. I wouldn't pick up a sweet old lady. I wouldn't pick up a pregnant chick with kids, because I've heard stories about people using decoys with old people or with women and kids, and then you pull over, and then they murder you or rob you or whatever and so i would literally never pick up anybody rj did you leave the names out so that you can't be no incriminated? i no i actually looked this up I, <laughs> you missed my no i completely get you but no um no i i that's why i was hesitant to tell this because they didn't have a location they didn't have names but i thought it was a really good story so well, yeah I fuck just... you tj <laughs> Yeah, I, I would never, ever pick up a hitchhiker. You don't see that many these days, but when I do, I'm always kind of shocked, and I'm like, there's no fucking way that I would ever, ever pick anybody up, because I, you just don't know. I feel like nowadays, people don't, but... I've seen there a few are. here, but even, like, somebody stopping on the side of the road, like, if somebody has, like, a broken-down car, I will, I will never stop, and it's... Yeah. Just for that, I just, I don't trust people. See, what it's... I don't know, it's... um I mean, when I first moved down here, and I was working three jobs, I was going to my first shift job, and on my way there, when I still had my Acura and, you know, the um, tires would constantly lose pressure, I had to stop on the side of the road and was changing and I was about to be late. And this guy just pulled right up behind me and just asked me, hey, can I give you a hand? And he, it probably took half the time. You know, I, you know, I didn't flag him down or anything. It just, yeah. and it was, I wasn't even on the main road. I was like in a, um, like a, the entryway to like a company or something. I was right in the entryway. So I was, it kind of surprised me and impressed me, but... 
there are a lot of good people out there. I just, I don't know. I've heard so many stories about it. It's kind of made me leery of stopping for people. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Rachel were driving on it, like out in a country road, not far from here. And this like teenage girl was like stranded on the side of the road in her car. And I pulled over and I said, do you need any help? And she looked kind of scared. She's like, no, thank you. And I told Rachel, I was like, she's probably thinking I'm a creeper. But to be honest, if you're a teenage girl out in the middle of nowhere like that, it might be nice to have someone around so that someone who is a creeper doesn't like. Yeah, that's a little weird. But I mean, I had, I had Rachel with me, so it's not like, you know, like, I feel like that'd be a little less creepy. Like, but then again, I mean, how many movies have we seen where like, there's like a, like a guy and a a female accomplice. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And that's the female accomplice is going to lure you in. Oh yeah. I know how. (laughs) scary i look so yeah he's very intimidating for <laughs> she sure. was probably like that guy's gonna murder me so <laughs> Halloween t-shirt and she was like fuck that he's crazy <laughs> stab me with a six inch yeah. yeah so very uh it's scary and informative so you're welcome everybody out there i want to move into uh first movie we have any emails this time no emails but i do have something to share later when we get on to the topic of um american werewolf in london okay so I went first this month, and I was having a hard time, like, trying to figure out what I wanted to bring. Um, I said I wanted to bring opera on the last episode, but I was having some issues with, like, the discs, so... Were they broken? Um, no. Uh, I'll get into that later. Okay. So I was, I was wanting to bring something else, something, hopefully, that neither of them have seen. And I had kind of wanted to rewatch um, the first Insidious movie, Um I had listened. I was listening to another podcast, and they were reviewing the whole series, and I'm like, oh, I really want to go back and rewatch that. And at the time, I had thought RJ hadn't seen it, and it had been a while since Brandon seen it. So I went ahead and brought Insidious. Um, this is a relatively newer movie. Um, I'm not sure what the date is when it came out, but this I'm going to guess 2009 or 2010. Oh, really? Um, this was directed by James Wan, written by James Wan and Lee Winnell who did, um, you know, from the first Saw movie, Dead Silence, they went on to do the Conjuring universe. Um, So Insidious is basically about this family moves into this home, and they start seeing ghosts or uh, entities. We'll just go with, like, supernatural entities, because some of them are demons, ghosts, whatever. Um, And it's really affecting the wife a lot. The one of the sons goes into a coma, and they end up moving houses after that because the wife is having a hard time dealing with like the hauntings. And they get to this new house, same shit starts happening, um, and what we find out is they bring in a medium who is the star of the series. It's Elise Rainier, played by. Um, Lynchay, and she comes in and, and she says, you know, it's it's not your houses that are haunted, it's your son. And she goes in to explain that their son is a traveler who can um, have out-of-body experiences when he's sleeping, and it's like astral projection. He mentioned they mentioned like in the past how he said I, I've I've watched myself sleep, and. At this point, what's happened is, is he's gone into what they call the further, and this is like a realm where like demonic spirits, entities or whatever, um, kind of roam in the afterlife, and he's not in his body, he's in the further, and so his body's like an open vessel for these demons 
<clears throat> and there's one particular main demon who they call the lipstick demon mm-hmm. um, that has kind of latched onto him and is kind of claim making claim to that body and he can't just like possess it's gonna it's like a process uh so this whole time they're, they're trying to like figure out how to get the sun back into his body what we find out is that the dad when he was a kid was also a traveler and it's something that they were able to suppress the memories of and so they end up having him and elise both like working together to try to bring that sun back into the body before that demonic lipstick demon can claim that body and possess him um when i first saw this back in whenever 2010 2010, Mm -hmm. so i was in college um and i was just like i was personally blown away when i first saw it because it was something original we've always seen ghost movies um that's not new but it was this idea of the person being haunted and not the house where this kid was stuck in this place that they've created called the further and this was like a whole new idea that i loved where these demonic entities like kind of live and all of these different care demonic characters that james wan and leonel created were just fascinating to me and and to see this whole world of the further and that this kid and his dad are able to what they call travel and astral project and 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 kind of like roam this world um it's terrifying uh i always just thought that the whole premise was just something that we needed as far as in the ghost genre because it was kind of at that point getting kind of tired um with all the stuff that was released in the early 2000s after like the sixth sense and rose red and the haunting remake and house on haunted hill 13 ghosts you know it was kind of becoming a very it was it was like what zombies had become oversaturated at the time um that was ghost movie so i really think this was something that that subgenre needed um obviously james wan and lee Winnell have gone on to big things in that genre with the conjuring universe that's huge right now um but this this was before that and this was i just thought Say what you will about the, the franchise as a whole, the sequels, the, you know, they kind of, you like them or you don't, but this first movie, and even the second one, were just phenomenal in my opinion. Um, so obviously I said Brent had seen this before, and we found out RJ had seen it before too, but it had been a while for both of them, but I'm going to go ahead and let them kind of give their thoughts and, and see what they thought. So initially I did not think mm-hmm. I had seen this before. But as um, as we went through the movie, I, I started to recognize it piece by piece. I would agree with TJ. It's definitely something that's unique and you know something that's original that hasn't really been done. Uh, I I like how they. It's almost kind of like a roller coaster. How you they don't they they don't. Um, like they spoon feed you information is that what you're trying to say yeah kind of so they don't it's not until the very end when the medium just kind of gives them the bad news all at once uh, you know you don't really know you don't really understand throughout the movie which i like because it gets your attention and makes you think throughout the whole movie but i don't know it was it was uh, definitely a good movie i mean we're gonna go ahead and spoil it because it's, again it's nine years old and but how how stupid and how little foresight did they have where you said Lynn Shea is the star, and they kill her off in the first one. So 
So they have to find ways to bring her back in each subsequent sequel. And I've never seen any sequels, but I've heard they do a decent job of it. But it's it's just funny how you think with most modern movies now, we we just found out the recent Halloween sequel was getting two more sequels. You know, every every movie is so open ended, and every show is just designed to milk it till it's just dry. So how funny is it that there's what five Insidious is now? <clears throat> four. Four that they kill off what would be the star in the first one. Well, it's probably... I think it's what it is, is that James Wan and Lee Winnell had an idea which went into the first and second movie, and then you have that problem with the studio meddling, and they, because of the money that the first two brought in, wanted sequels, and they saw her as the star of the series. Yeah. And then it, it it's kind of hard because I, I don't think... I think Wan and Winnell are very smart, writers directors creators in the horror universe and i don't think that they would have necessarily had they known that this was going to be what it was maybe i've done that but they probably didn't really care that it went on past two yeah. but it's just an example of those studios meddling in for that money like they want to keep it going and they're like who can we i mean you look at uh, patrick wilson and rose barn or whatever the two other leads like they went on to bigger things and uh, Lynn Shay is is pretty much made a career in horror, so she's like, of course I'll do it. And yeah. Well, and this could of... be a rare example <clears throat> of one of the times where they weren't actually planning on making a sequel until yeah, they saw how I'm much saying. money it made. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, and it's I, I don't want to get off on some major tangent, but it's just crazy that that's the culture we live in now. Is that for better or worse, any movie that makes a decent amount is going to get a sequel, and you know sometimes that's good, a lot of times it's not. But it, I just found that funny because I heard on another podcast that they had mentioned that. She died in the first one, which obviously I knew, and they said that, you know, they keep bringing her back, keep bringing her back, and it's like, how many times can you get this out of her? Um, so what did you think of the movie, though? I, I really liked it. Uh, I saw this... Uh, I saw it on Netflix for the first time. My mom and I actually watched it one night. Uh, I had heard good things about it, and just her and I sat down in the dark room and watched it, and it, a lot of times, scared the shit out of me in quite a few parts. Um, can, I, can I say one thing real quick? Yeah. So the one thing that I that I enjoyed about this movie was you're expecting to see a demon or something. You're expecting, like, the first ghost that we see, I think it was, like, a lady, wasn't it? it I was think... The, the, was it the guy with the long was... hair in the crib? Yeah, 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 because, yeah, okay, so... Fuck. Right, yeah. so you're you're expecting that guy, mm. right? So she's in the room, and she's trying to figure out when the... Um, you hear, like, a little boy giggling and laughing, and he's ba- it's basically like a six-year-old boy playing with his mom. And you're expecting some big, scary, you know, stalker dude. But then the little boy jumps out of the, the out of the closet. Not out of the closet, but out of the entertainment center. And I, I remember that was one thing that really made me jump. I gotcha. Um, just the different types of ghosts that you encounter throughout yeah. the movie. So, again, it goes back to you don't know what to expect. And, again, you don't really know what's happening until they just kind of slap you, slap you in the face at the end and then give you what's happening. doesn't yeah. help that they play this, too. That's the centerpiece of the movie, TJ. That song is creepy. I'll tell you what, um, I like when horror films or just darker films in general use positive, upbeat songs. Have you guys ever seen um, A Clockwork Orange, Stanley Kubrick? Mm-hmm. I'll never, have you seen that? I have not. I'll never hear the song Singing in the Rain, which is like a positive, upbeat song, again, without thinking of like ter- terrible things. So I like when horror or dark movies like that kind of... Um, I don't want to say like rape because that's like a strong word, but like 
they like pollute positive like upbeat like nice songs and what you're saying is what uh it's kind of what we didn't talk about black christmas on the podcast but remember when we talked about taking something as innocent as christmas and and then presenting this dark material with it i i love that because i think sometimes you know we it's almost like as a society like we hold certain mediums or certain certain things like christmas you know or, or church like sacred so i think when you pollute those things with horror or darkness it's i think it's even scarier because you're used to like the boogeyman and, and that's got its own place you know in in the corner over here where we can't see it unless we want to but then when you bring that stuff into the into sacred quote-unquote spots i think it's it's big hey brent yeah you want to share some of those starburst jelly beans you got over there i sure don't you guys can go to hell <laughs> <laughs> i'll talk about that later but anyway Brent's a stingy bastard that's right um but anyway, uh, I really like this. Uh, like I said, my mom and I watched it. Um, I had heard good things, and uh, it was it was very dark. Uh, there were some, you know, typical jump scares or whatever, but I definitely think that there were a lot of scares, like these guys had mentioned, where the baby's crying, and um, Rose Byrne goes in to check on her daughter, and you just see the glimpse of this figure behind like a bassinet screen. I mean, that that scared the shit out of me. That uh, that I will not forget about that movie because it scared the shit out of me. I think that guy's the scariest like entity in the movie. Like that part when she's laying in bed and you kind of see pacing. someone pacing yeah. in the window and then all of a sudden he just appears in the room. Yeah. Like that was yeah, that was that was the first time that you saw him, though, right? No, that was later after. No, it's the first time you saw her. She saw him behind crib. the crib. Right. So that's a good ex- mm. that's another good example though. So you they show him twice in a row. So you're expecting the same person to the same ghost. And then they start throwing in the other one. lady. Like, yeah. The little, yeah. Well, they don't... And they, again, you don't understand why that's happening, which kind of... Well, they never really show his face. Like, he's always kind of shrouded in darkness. And I like that's that. what's scary, too, is, is it just... I'll, sorry, go ahead. You, get, nah, you, just, you never really get a good gr- grasp on him. You know, he's just kind of like this shadowy figure. Although the complete opposite still I thought was scary in that movie was that that woman who like had that creepy smile yeah and she just kept like her face would like twitch yeah so i i don't know it was I, almost like stepford <clears throat> what they were. Mm-hmm. Um, Did, who was your favorite uh like demonic entity in the movie i think it was the old lady honestly the old lady was scary yes. as fuck and um, rj and i saw that guy that it's a man that plays her really and me and rj oh, that was saw, him yeah me and rj saw that guy in costume at a horror convention wow. last year he was freaking scary in person could you meet him you could. He, he didn't even. He was one of those like side people that you know the people that the main people that they have the room for. You get yeah. the long lines. And then you got the people that. Um, he was in the hallway. You know, yeah. At so you table. could literally. TJ literally just walked up to him. Did you get a picture or anything? No, I didn't because uh, it was like wasn't it like forty bucks or something? Oh, I'm wow. like yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you. I, I think you had just decided. But I mean, he. Ha- it's funny because it's a. It. It looks like it is supposed to be an old lady. It looks like an old lady, but it's a man, and it's. Terrifying. It's kind of I like, completely uh, forgot about that. Yeah. What was Pet Cemetery? What's um, oh, oh Zelda. Yeah, it's like Zelda. But yeah, I think the the old lady, for for a couple reasons I'll get to later a little bit is was probably the scariest and the coolest to me. Have what you seen Egos? Part Two? No. Oh, you need to watch that because she's a big part of Part Two. Oh wow, yeah, I've never seen. Um, it. I can see how I have to the end. You know, before you said that, I was gonna say the, the man that we talked about as being my favorite, but. You're right. I mean, the thing is, is like, I, the man is very scary, but she has more, it felt like she was more vital to the dad's story. She was. And the mystery of what happened with all that makes it... And seeing her in pictures and getting close, like, I'm getting chills, like, just remembering and then flipping through and 
so this old woman haunted uh, Patrick Wilson, the dad, when he was a kid, and he was astral projecting himself. And they realized this because his mom found uh, some Polaroids, and as she was going through the pictures, she thought it was like a, like a smudge or like a splotch, and she realized <clears> it was the, the spirit of an old woman trying to possess her son, and each picture she shows she gets closer and closer. And they just stopped taking pictures after that. Yeah, and that was that was a part. A, a little side note that you don't you wouldn't catch necessarily, because in the beginning, the mom is showing pictures of herself as a kid, and the little boy's like, you know, where are pictures of dad? And she's like, I don't think we have any pictures of dad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you hear that, and you just toss that out of your mind, but you realize later... He's forgotten this because he's afraid of getting his picture taken because of this whole thing. Or even at the beginning when they show the mom, sorry, the dad's mom, so the grandma. Yeah. She's there and and she's looking at a family photo of them. She goes, oh, he let you take his picture. Yeah. It's those little seeds that at the time you dismiss and you don't even pay attention to. And then later you're like, holy shit, it was right right there in front of me. Um, But uh, uh, one of the twists in the movie at the end, since we're spoiling it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. when the dad goes into the further, he, uh, towards the end when they're getting the sun out, he runs into the old lady and he's kind of like, you know, like, I'm not scared of you, like, what are you going to do? And you think he gets out because he wakes up, but what happens is, is Elise uh, takes a picture of him and he, what are you doing? He gets all mad and he starts attacking her and kills her yeah. by choking her to death. And then later the wife the mom wife comes in and looks at the photo and sees the old lady. It's just all the old lady. Like you don't even see her husband in the photo. And that's like how it ends. She got him. Yeah. Which to me is a brilliant ending because I've talked about this before. I feel like most of the time. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah. It was good. But I feel like most of the time good wins over evil. That's what we've all been raised to believe. That's what, you know, we, we all believe the light wins. And so there's this few movies where evil wins in the end. And obviously, there are sequels I have not seen, so you know I'm sure the tide's turned. But the fact that you know it ends and you think that you know the dad got the son and all's right in the world, and then you know he stood up to this this bully essentially, and you know you think he beat her, and all of a sudden it comes turns out that she got him. She finally got him. I mean I'll, that I would have been fine with awesome. it if that was the end too. Yeah, like yeah. I like movies sometimes that don't have happy endings. Yeah, and that, that's what I love is it's just. It was just a dark ass ending, you know. I it, it makes me almost wish that there was never a sequel just for that. But I, you know, I like that a lot. Well, what uh, kind of sucks is the the little boy has been fighting through this entire movie, and it's the dad who ends up getting grabbed in the end yeah. or possessed, however you want to look at it. I guess he did in a way did his own fighting as a kid. Uh, RJ, what was the scariest entity to you? I would probably agree with the old woman. Yeah, it's. I wasn't gonna say that, but when he mentioned it, I'm like, you're right. She, she's terrifying. Well, I mean, one of I think one of the scariest scenes, and not the scariest to me, was that scene in the crib. But I still, I think the old woman and that character yeah. is very scary, and even lipstick mm-hmm. demon is is creepy. The, the, the scene where you see him and they're in the dining room, and he's behind like the mom or the dad or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's scary, but I just even in his world when he's like sharpening his claws, like and I think he's scary. Yeah, I don't think it's as scary. No. I, I still think the the part that TJ mentioned where the the woman is in the bed and she's just kind of laying there, she's kind of in the twilight zone, and she starts seeing this figure pacing outside the window. Scary as fuck, dude. And then all of a sudden he comes through the wall and charges her. Yeah. I mean, that's something that you don't expect. I think that's the scariest part of the movie for me. And um, TJ mentioned, oh, it's a cheap, you know, a cheap, what would you call it when they make you jump? Jump scare. Yeah. Well. Cheap jump scare. But... The old woman as an entity of herself, I think, would be the scariest one. 
I might have made a comment, but what I mean is, and you made a good point when we were watching the movie. When I made the comment about jump scares, you said, "Well, some, well, not when they're done well." And and I think that's important with this movie is that they're they're not just used as. When I say a jump scare is cheap, there's some movies out there that only rely on that. Rely on them, yeah. For instance, some of the spinoffs of the Conjuring universe that I mentioned earlier, like The Nun and like La Llorona, like. Those types of movies, sometimes that's all they have. Like, they're not really... Insidious had scary concept and scary created, like, entities in it. So I think the jump scares were just supplementing. I think the in the overall sense of dread you feel in Insidious, because the movie slowly grows darker and darker. And I think that's what was scary, too, is, you know, it's in the darkness and knowing these things are out there and they're right on the verge of our world and you're just not sure where it's going to go. But yeah, as I said, I really, really <clears throat> liked it. Uh, scared the crap out of me in a lot of ways, and that's not easy to do these days. So it was it was very well done. So I was glad to to see it again and give it a second watch for sure. All right. So as far as ratings, this one is as far as modern horror movies. I have a list on my phone actually of like my top ten modern horror movies, which to me is two thousand and on. And this is on my list for that, and I'm giving it a 4.5 out of 5. Uh, like I said, this was something to me that kind of revitalized that subgenre of, of ghosts movies and was a completely new thing that we've never seen. Like, The Further was a completely original, created idea, and it spawned, like, this huge career for Juan. Like, I mean, he's created this whole Conjuring universe. and it's the Waniverse. I just don't know that it would have happened had he not had the success of, like, Insidious and Saul and, and Dead Silence, which Dead Silence gets forgotten about, but that's neither here nor there. I like it. I, I do, like too. I do, too. But So I'm giving this a 4.5 out of 5. Nice. So when I was, we were watching this, you know, as we watch these, whether it's a first-time watch or fifth-time watch for me, you know, I try and, I try and think of my rating, and I kind of look at it, like, I start every movie as a five, and then I work my way down, and I find reasons. I don't find reasons, but reasons come to me of why, like, okay, this isn't a five, it's not a 4.5, it's not a four, whatever. So I, I thought about this one, and I was going to give it, you know, a 3.5. I don't like doing, like, a 3.875 or anything. I like to just keep but it. But you could. <laughs> I know, but I don't want to. I just I want to try and stay true to my, to my ranking. So um, as we started talking about this movie, and I got chills multiple times talking about certain scenes... And then the fact that, you know, TJ brought up a good point about how this is this spawned a whole other universe. And, you know, it was very original. And so I had to move it up to a four because it's, it's not perfect for me, obviously, but it's it's very, very good. And even on a second watch, even kind of remembering what to expect in some ways, this, the jump stairs still got me and gave me chills and spots. So I, I really, really like it, and I'd highly recommend it for sure. I definitely agree it's it's an original I, I can't give it a 4.5 as much as TJ did but I could definitely give it a solid four um, it definitely is a must if you like you know horror movies <clears throat> I don't especially if you like like ghost the haunted type movies yeah. I it's it's a movie that doesn't beat the same thing to death like other movies have done before yeah, so that's three thumbs up from us. Recommended. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. It's, like, I... it's like four thumbs up because I put. Mm. I'm just kidding. I'm stupid. Just ignore me. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it might be on Netflix. I, don't I think know. we I looked. Didn't check. No, we looked. Remember after we it watched is, it? Yeah, 
because yeah, we were because you were like son of a bitch yeah. it was on netflix yeah it's on netflix so yeah check it out if you haven't seen it for sure so we wanted to movie number two so movie number two was actually a request that we had and i decided to fulfill um american werewolf of london this was made in 80 what did we decide on 84 81 i think 81 okay so this was made in 1981 and it comes at it from a little bit of a different angle as far as uh, the previous werewolf movies. Um, essentially, these two Americans are hitchhiking in northern England. They go through this town in the middle of nowhere. They walk into a tavern. All of the Englishmen stop what they're doing, stare at them, and basically are just wondering why in the world they're there. And it's not just men that are there. There are a couple of women as well. And you definitely get the feeling that you know, the two strangers don't, they don't belong because they don't want them there. They feel danger because of them being there. And essentially they get, they've gotten the same feeling, but eventually they leave the cabin. And before they left the cabin, what really made them want to leave, they asked about a, um, the five-pointed star on the wall that had two candles next to them. And essentially they just threw it out there, you know, what's that for? And uh, they're, they refused to answer and basically told them to get the F out. And uh, so they, they're they walking in the woods, and then that's when the original, or the, the main werewolf attack happens. He ends up killing one of them, and ironically, the villagers end up saving the other guys as being attacked. And one thing that I liked was, so as the, he killed one of the villagers, he killed one of the hitchhikers, and he was injuring the other one, and as the villager shot him, he, as the guy that had been attacked comes out of it, he looks next to him, and there's the body of the used to be werewolf next to him, and he's just, yeah, just this naked bald, you know, random guy, and it kind of takes you a minute to think, you know, who it is, but uh, so the the guy gets taken back, he gets put into a hospital, and lo and behold, he meets the girl his dreams there. And just like, you know, the perfect love story, she ends up taking him home, and some fun things happen. Like what? And, uh... Please some, tell me, Rick. Some boring, <laughs> some boring 80 sex. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, essentially, the guy ends up transforming a couple times, uh, goes and wreaks havoc on London, and we get a pretty good scene of, uh, the guy trying to get arrested so he can get thrown in jail, so when he transforms, he's not a danger, and... You know, he's insulting the Queen, he's insulting Winston Churchill, you know, he's trying to get attention. But, um, you know, in the end, the movie ends with him transforming for the final time. The They end up pinning the werewolf in an alley, and the uh, they mention earlier in the movie that they thought that the werewolf could only be killed by somebody that they love. Um, so he, she, the heroine, walks down the alley and is trying to reason with the uh, werewolf. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the characters' names. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, it, it almost sounds like she's getting through to him. And then after a couple seconds, he goes to attack her and all the policemen behind him and end up shooting him probably like half a dozen times and killing him. But uh, one thing that I have to give credit to is the transformation in this movie. As we had mentioned before, so a lot of the other werewolf movies before this were a little bit older, but... It's just very well done how they put this together. And I think the person who requested this had mentioned, you know, how he had, like, the transformations. But it's... 
for how it's done, I think it's very, very good. And along with the actual seeing the seeing the werewolf, they don't show you the entire thing until the end. So they they just kind of dangle it along. And when you finally do see it again, it's it's something that's more original. So it's not like a Lon Chaney type of wolfman. It's an actual beast wolf kind of. That's it. It's shaped more like a bear, I think, but it's, again, it's something original because that's not something that many of them had done at this time. Right. Uh, I can go. So this was a first-time watch for me. Uh, I thought I had seen it before, but as we went through, I hadn't. And I really didn't know what to expect. Um, I didn't expect it to be as funny as it was. Um, I, I thought it was going to be completely serious, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised. And um, I was honestly blown away by it. Uh, I kind of regret I hadn't seen it sooner because it's it's awesome. And um, RJ had mentioned a couple cool things like the werewolf transformation. I mean, this was 1981. I feel like the practical effects were insane, and it didn't seem like it was stop motion. You know, it seemed like they did a really good job of getting the prosthetics going on the guy. And like you said, it looked painful. I mean, it was showing like his fingernails coming through and. It looked very, very painful, and it was just, it was awesome. I love the fact that, like you mentioned, that the wolf is kind of on all fours the whole time. It's not like, you know, like like a bipedal like we're used to, like on two feet running around. Um, I, the werewolf's face was really, really cool to me and um, kind of scary, and uh, I just, every part of it was cool. Um, it was, I think this was the perfect mix of, of horror comedy, which I'm interested to see what you think about it because you're not a big horror comedy person, but this is a horror comedy for sure. Well, and I don't really, I don't know if I would consider it a horror comedy. It is though. for sure. I even I would, pulled it up. really, yeah, I, I wouldn't consider it a horror comedy. Yeah, it's. I think there's some humorous moments. It's it's almost like lightning the. It, it's almost like one of those bait and switch movies. I think it it lightens the moment up at times, and then it's serious at times. Yeah, but. I, I wouldn't consider it a horror comedy. No, it, it I, was, I definitely think it has comedy elements. It's probably, I mean, you could probably just, it just depends on the person, I guess. Well, I mean, the, the well, director, like John it. Landis, he wrote and directed, and he actually was the director of Animal House, so it's, I think he kind of had some comedy in him. But I don't think it was, the thing is, if we're comparing this to horror comedies now, obviously it's not going to be in that I, genre as much, but... I would compare it to, like, The Lost Boys. Yeah. Because Lost Boys has a lot of comedy in it, but... I think I that's the perfect example. It is, because, like, I, I mean, maybe people consider The Lost Boys a horror comedy, but, like you said, it's different than what it is now. Like, it's not like the Shaun of the Dead or what we do no, in the Shadows. Yeah. Like, I think those movies are more comedy. For sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. And then, like, The Lost Boys and American Werewolf are... They've got a lot more serious and mm -hmm. horror in it than... But I think that's what the art is of making movies like that, is that you combine so many different elements to get a different ending. And by different ending, I made a different result on how people, what people take away from that movie. So if you say this is a horror movie and you're putting these different elements in that you're not expecting, you're going to take something away that's different, you know, which I think is, you know, good and what gives these movies their, their color and their fame. Well, I, I think this, this was... A horror comedy, but it represented where comedy was at that time. I mean, com the comedy in 1981 and 2015 are obviously much different. So mm -hmm. I think that I think you're right that a lot of the movies you mentioned lean more towards comedy now than with horror sprinkled in, whereas this was horror with comedy sprinkled in. But I thought yeah. it I thought it it tiptoed the type perfectly. I mean, it it was just funny enough to break the mood at times and keep it kind of light, but it was it was very good. Um, the practical effects were 
out of this world. I mean, just besides the the werewolf change, one of my absolute favorite parts of this movie was um, the the main character. His name was uh, David Kessler. So his friend Jack was the friend that was murdered as they were trying to outrun the first werewolf. And Jack visits David in the hospital first, and he visits him from time to time. And he's basically telling him, listen, this is a werewolf curse. You're the last of the bloodline. You have to die. Otherwise, me and any of your victims are going to roam free, basically miserable. We can't move on. And every time we see Jack, the first time we see him in the hospital, he's freshly torn up from his werewolf attack. And then every time we see him after that, he's more and more grotesque. He's more and more uh, decrepit, and he's, he's decaying. And I thought that that was so cool, the fact, even if, if he had just shown up all the time as his shredded self, I wouldn't have minded. But the fact that he's decaying more and more than we see him, and he's begging David to just to kill himself and end this misery. And then we start to see David's other victims, and they show up, and one of my favorite scenes in the movie theater, and they're like, just kill yourself. And like that couple's like, oh, just shoot yourself. Oh, just hang yourself. Like They're giving him all these ways to kill himself. And See, that, awesome. Again, that's another example. And I, I wish I would have brought him up before, because, again, he was one of my favorite characters, too. But, you know, what what kind of movie theater do they end up in? A porno theater, which is hilarious. Right. Again, so it's not something that's straight out comical, but it's something that, you know, it's like, you know, really? And it, it, it does make you laugh at it. And then, you know, you get all of the... You know, you get Jack in there where he's... Uh, he's essentially almost a skeleton at this point. Yeah. Um, he's got, you know, green decaying muscle on his face that's holding him together. But it lightens the mood up. You know, and you've got this, you know, 80s sex scene going on in the background. And then I think, after, you know, he, he essentially starts changing in the movie theater itself. And then you go right back into a serious scene where it's the climax of the movie where he gets shot in the alley that I talked about. So, again, it's it, it seems like almost a bait and switch. Yeah, I, it was great. Um, I think David, I mean, was a, was a cool character. He doesn't take it seriously at first. Like I like when he's in the bathroom in her apartment. He's like snarl, growl, like he's making fun of the fact that he's gonna be a werewolf or whatever. Um, and it just, I don't know. I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I like the ending, like you had mentioned, where we think that um, the nurse might be getting through to him. Alex is her name, and then all of a sudden he gets gunned down and he's dead. And it was. And I liked I liked the fact that this kind of took away like the silver bullet trope of most werewolf even modern werewolf movies and pretty much like a gun you know just gunshots kill them or whatever um, and it I don't know I thought it was awesome it was funny it was it was it had a lot of good horror elements in it um, I I absolutely loved it so TJ yeah I mean you guys mentioned a lot uh, just to really quick. This is my favorite werewolf movie. Uh, wasn't the first time I had seen it, and what sets it apart for me with a lot of the others is I love how the whole movie was. I mean, it doesn't waste time getting started with him getting bit, and you just kind of watch that transition of him going into his werewolf lycanthrope, whatever you want to call it, ness, <laughs> um, and and like Brent mentioned, with his friend showing up and. And, and kind of decaying as he goes on and on and on. And it's just cool to, like, it's it's just, like, one, you're just, you're, you're going through this whole phase with him. Yeah. It's a journey. Right. And a lot of, a lot of different werewolf movies, like, they don't take the time to show you the pain that he, that they go through and, like, the, the, the journey of the curse. And sometimes werewolf movies can be 
uh, we want to call it romanticized or something like it's 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 cool and it's fun and there's no downside to this curse that it's got that I've got on me and um, and I do like agree with both RJ and Brent that the comedy thrown in works well for me I liked it um, the special effects are next level um, they held up to me I don't I mean yes it's made in the 80s but it's a lot like Jurassic Park when I rewatch it like I'm watching it in 2019 and I think it still looks great mm-hmm. um that's a funny thing I mentioned to Brent while we were watching it because Brent's a big music fan uh the guy who directed John Landis who directed this movie is the same guy who Michael Jackson hired to direct the thriller music video so it's kind of funny to which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I brought up on it. Michael Jackson saw this movie in 1981 and was a huge fan. So he actually reached out to John Landis and said, I, I want you to direct the music video. And I think after I'd learned that and just thinking of bits and pieces from Thriller, I can totally see where some of the... Oh, absolutely. The, the effect can be... It just, it's, it's like perfect. Yeah, because you know? if you look at his friend, the way he like his makeup looks, it yeah. does look similar to Michael Jackson's makeup in Thriller. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to get too much into this. Uh, both of these guys mentioned a lot of the points I wanted to make, uh, before we even started watching this, I had mentioned to both of them that this is my favorite, uh, as far as werewolf movies go. Um, I think I mentioned it on our dog soldiers episode as well. Yeah. So if, if you like werewolf movies, werewolves, you haven't seen this, you got to check it out. Highly recommend like. It's cult classic for sure. Outside of the original Wolfman back in like the forties, to me this is the best. Like this is the werewolf movie I would recommend. Yeah, I'll even say it. I think this kicks the Wolfman's ass. And I, I I do like it better than the Wolfman. I'm yeah. just saying that there wouldn't be a American Werewolf Absolutely, without Wolfman. Yeah, for sure. And I like the Wolfman. So I'd like to but... play I like to pay respects to the what started it. Fair enough. Uh, I did have a funny I had made a note in my phone about a funny scene, so uh, the first day that David wakes up from his night as a werewolf, he wakes up naked in the zoo, and he's running around, you know, trying to, like, find some clothes or whatever, <laughs> and he sees this little boy looking at uh, one of the exhibits, and he's got a bunch of clothes oh, in yeah. his hand, and he's like, little boy, little boy, come here, and he's, like, hiding in a bush, and all you can see is the bush, and the little boy's <laughs> looking around like, what the hell, and he finally lures him over, and the whole conversation in general is hilarious, because, I mean, it's like a bush talking to this little boy trying to get his balloons from him, trying to buy them from him. Little boy, come here, I'll give you some shit. <laughs> yeah. So then, eventually, he pops out and takes the balloon from the boy and runs off. And this little boy is, like, not crying. Like, he just kind of, like, has a smirk on his face. And he goes up to his mom, and he's like, Mom, Mom, a naked American man stole my balloons. <laughs> and it just cracked me up. Like, that's an example of, like, just, it was just the comedy just hit home for me 100%. Yeah. Uh, I just, I had to mention that before we got off here. Alright, so I got a little extra surprise, I guess, for you guys. So I reached out to the listener, Itakai, that um, that emailed in to us and asked him if he would record, like, a recording of his thoughts of the movie. Nice. Um, just kind of, just to show the listeners we care about your thoughts and reviews and if you want to if you want to interact with us and participate this is like a way if you want to email into us recommend yeah. something you're or welcome if you want to make future requests just like yeah okay. yeah we'd love we'd love to hear any any kind of requests and we were fortunate enough that he did go ahead and record um uh like a voice recording of his opinions and thoughts on the movie awesome and we appreciate you doing that uh, we like the participation and the interaction so yeah uh if you don't mind i'll go ahead and play yeah, it absolutely. it's four minutes long but cool Sounds good. All right, cool. Hey, podcasters. This is Itakai calling in to let you know about 
my review of American Werewolf in London. First of all, I want to say how much I absolutely love your podcast. It's one of my favorites I love listening to. Um, love all the reviews of old movies, new movies, and you're constantly filling my Netflix queue with ideas to go watch. American Werewolf in London is one of my favorite werewolf movies, and I am a huge werewolf fan. So the cool things I found about this movie were, of course, the special effects. Um, That first transformation scene was beyond real. The way his bones stretched, his mouth stretched, uh, hair grew up out of his body. It was just really amazing, very realistic. I especially liked where he flipped over on his back and you could see his stomach collapsing in on himself as he became more wolf-like and less human. I think they really did a great job showing the extreme pain of the transformation, which is, you know, pretty awesome. A lot of werewolf movies bypass that and make it seem like this beautiful, magical transformation. Um, To see this huge pain was very nice. Now, on the flip side, every time the werewolf would transform back to human, we didn't get to see that transformation scene. One moment they're a werewolf, the next they're just pure human and naked. I wish we could see something about how that process happens in reverse. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, My only real complaint, I think, is several times during the movie, when he was about to transform, he would be just sitting doing nothing and all of a sudden have this huge piercing headache. It just seemed a little out of context, going from zero to a thousand in pain instantly. I don't know whether I wanted more special effect music or maybe some buildup of the pain or something, but just have it happen like that, Uh, especially when he wasn't within eyesight of the moon itself. So that would be nice to see thought the acting was great. Um, the characters were all very interesting. I loved to see the doctor that was very interested in his health and wanted to get to the bottom of things and was open to the idea that maybe there's something more going on here than what he medically understood. Uh, his best friend, his slow, gradual transformation from recent dead to of skin falling off his body was fantastic. Uh, I like that. And he kept his personality that whole time. It really was able to convey, hey, you've got to kill yourself. You have to get rid of this curse because I don't want to live this way. And then to see the other members that he had killed in earlier stages of their own death and decay really kind of opened that up to you. Um, Would have loved to see more of the townsfolk and, you know, how much they really did know and what they had done to prevent it. It seemed like they all kind of hid out in that bar um, every month to protect themselves from the werewolves, which that's pretty cool. I mean, because they all seem like pretty tough badasses, but they were kind of gathering together because they realized they were up against something they could not handle. But, um, yeah, 
on a scale of one to ten, uh, I'm sorry, I guess you guys use one to five, I would give this an easy 4.5. Um, really love this movie. Uh, Howling is probably a bigger favorite for me, but the special effects don't even come close to what Werewolf in London has. I would love to see them come back now and maybe do a remake of this movie and still use physical effects and not CGI. I think it would have really been ruined with CGI. Anyway, keep up the horror casting. Love to hear your podcast each time and look forward to what other movies you have to show us. All right. Thank you. Get a kind of That's awesome. We, yeah, we appreciate the feedback. Um, I mean, thanks for doing that. You actually brought up a couple of points that we had kind of forgotten about with the doctor. Um, that was kind of cool how the doctor, he could have just dismissed this guy like, listen, he's nuts. You know, I know medicine, medicine explains what happened, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that he goes out of his way to, to this town and finds the bar and tries to investigate what happened, that was, uh, that was cool. It was a neat character uh, that I didn't really expect to even see any more of. So, um, and then I forget the other... I have not seen The Howling, so I, I need to watch that, obviously, because they came out the same he year. He could have seen that. Yeah. Uh, he just doesn't uh, like us. Uh, yeah. He, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I do like The Howling. I think The Howling probably does have a cooler, like, world built. Um, Story-wise, maybe a little better, but I, I, he had it. He hit the head on the nail on the whatever. Head on the nail. <laughs> That's how the saying goes. Uh, about the special effects are just like better, and they came out like within a year of each other. I think. So like, so uh, I just think what John Landis did with the effects was done better. Yeah. Um, but I I agree. The Howling is number two right there for me as far as werewolf movies. Like it's just a good one. What do you think of Silver Bullet? Um, well, I just recently saw that like last year. Okay. I think I told you that I was yeah. watching it on AMC. Yeah. Um, during Halloween. Yeah. And I really liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, I'd have to probably watch it a couple more times to put it in with, like, sure. the others. But no matter what, there's not very many good werewolf movies. So it's going to be, like, Werewolf yeah. in London, The Howling, Dog Soldiers, Silver Bullet. Like, those four are just going to be up there somewhere. Yeah. Or Wes Craven's Curse, but everybody hates that one. <laughs> uh, is that with Christina Ricci? Yeah. I don't think I've seen that. I like it, but I don't yeah. care. But yeah, hey, thanks again for uh, I mean recording that for us and for the for the praise. I mean we appreciate it. We we love we love doing this and you know we just want to have fun with it. So it's it's nice to hear some positive feedback. It, you know we take any feedback, but positive is always nice too. Yeah, and I thought that was just a cool little way to to involve the listeners. Yeah. Um, we always tell our thoughts and they listen to us talk for an hour and a half every episode. So yeah. it's cool to to play their yeah their thoughts and yeah. Opinions. So thanks again. I mean we'd love to hear. You know we. We'll plug the email address and the Facebook page. I mean, the Facebook page is easy. It's just Death by Stereo. Um, but, you know, any way you want to interact with us, you know, we'll give you that spiel later. But we we appreciate it. So um, any other thoughts on it? Or do you want to go ahead and rate it? Um, I, especially with Itikai's remarks, I, I don't think there's anything else to say. Okay. Well, you, it was your um, pick. So you yeah, you it. go first. Well, uh, mentioning what TJ had said before about comparing this, I mean, the Wolfman, Lon Chaney's Wolfman, is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, so I can't, I can't give it. I would give this one a solid four. 
Um, it's, I mean, again, just putting it in relation to the 1940s Wolfman, I'd say that's probably what I have to give it. Um, it's no, it's by no means a knock to this movie at all. Um, it's got a lot of traits that the original Wolfman didn't have, which, in a certain respect, make it a better movie. But it just kind of goes back to my my thoughts. That's yeah, right. I wouldn't I wouldn't have said a four was a knock anyways. No, I mean, that's a really good score. Well, and you you like werewolf movies more, I'd say, than we do. I mean, I think that's more of your specialty. I think, um, especially since I mean, the Wolfman is that your all the all time favorite movie or horror movie or? I'm gonna have to say yeah. It's your all, that's all I mean movies? that's just that's just a movie that I I've out of all of the Universal movies that's probably the one I've seen the most. And along with The Mummy, which, I mean, I gave The Mummy a 4.5, and I think I gave The Wolfman a 5. And The Mummy has been one of my favorite movies ever since I was young. That was, aside from Rose Red, that was probably one of the first horror movies I had seen. Yeah, I mean, outside of slashers, I love werewolf and vampire movies. Mm-hmm. Those are, like, two of my favorite types of movies yeah. as well. Um, I can go next. So, this one, I mean, you've heard how much I loved it. Uh, it's, I'm angry I hadn't seen it earlier because it was fantastic. I couldn't give it a, a complete five. Uh, it's just, it, it wasn't, there's nothing inherently wrong with it to me. It just wasn't on the same exact level as some of my other fives, but I gave it a 4.5. Uh, I would recommend this to anybody. It was fun. It, it had plenty of good horror in it. I mean, I, I want to get it and watch it again soon. I mean, it's just, it was, I had that much fun with it. I, I love it, and I know it's going to become a cult classic and a favorite of mine for sure, so absolutely love it. I don't know if you agree, but I feel like when we're rating our movies, sometimes we're, like, looking for things to say that are wrong, but I feel like if we, in our heads, can justify, like, it's a 4, it's a 4.5, it's a 3, like, we shouldn't have to, like, tell people why, if that makes sense. I mean, we yeah. do, like, I think we do when we're, when we're talking about yeah. it, but, like, I don't know, I just feel like... I know. I think for me, it's just more of like, I'm not trying to justify my score. I'm just trying to give reasons why. Like, I guess I'm trying to flesh out what a four is for me or what a four point five. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to like kind of give some color to it. And, but I, I know. I, just, I guess what I'm saying is just like I feel like when we don't give a movie a five, it's not like I don't know. Like, there's a lot wrong with it necessarily. Yeah. It's just that... You gave it a four, Brent. Four point five. Okay. Yeah, I almost almost gave it a five, but it was just it was right outside that spectrum for me. Yeah, I feel like with what well, the some of the movies that like Brent's picked lately, I've been giving out a lot of fives, and I'm looking like a five whore here. But I guess it's a good thing with that we're picking quality movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm giving this a five. Nice. To me, this is horror staple, horror classic, like. The fact that I can't think of a werewolf movie that I think is better than this, and I think this is, like, my uh, prime werewolf movie that I would recommend to anybody, I'm giving it a five. I, In my mind, I justify that if if something's the best in its subgenre, then I'm going to... Then that's a five to me. Mm-hmm. So, five out of five. And this could be well. one, like... Um... I mean, when RJ had first, when you first saw The Lost Boys, it wasn't a five for you. Yeah, but I mean, it's, I, I guess with, I guess with The Wolfman that, I had given The Wolfman a five. That's your benchmark? Yeah, but I think, I think it's unfair to this movie to give it a four. So I, I, I could, I could, I can, I think I'll bump mine up to a 4.5 because 
like I said earlier, it comes, it, it has a lot of qualities that the original Wolfman doesn't have. And again, that's not knocking the original, it's just, just, um, like Itikai had said, you know, he hit on the transformation, which is absolutely better than the 40s, it, you know, just because of what they had and what, um, you know, Jack Pierce had to work with back then. And then, um, the scenes with Jack, it, it's just, it comes at it from a different direction. So I, I changed mine to a 4.5. I think this is one. I mean, I could see, again, this is my first viewing of it, and, you know, the more things ha- marinate and the more time I think about things, I could easily see this moving up in, in my in my overall movie rankings, and I think this is going to be one that I absolutely love and cherish, and, you know, years on the road, I'm like, this is, like, one of my all-time favorites for sure, but it's, I don't know, I, we all three, I mean, you heard our, our love for it, recommend it. I'm shocked I haven't seen it sooner, but I... Rewatching things absolutely factors in because like I remember when I saw like Spider-Man Homecoming the first time and I was like that's like a three out of five like was not a fan at all and then like I had watched it like a couple times and getting my bias out of the way of like the old movies yeah I'd like oh this is so good like I bumped it up even higher and it's just yeah yeah I mean it was it's anything I mean you, you know we're not we're all human we all change our minds on things and you know what you're getting a lot of a lot of times with this podcast is you get our raw reactions to things and you know certain movies one or all of us may have seen multiple times we've thought about it i've curated my rating this is what it is a lot of these if it's first time watch this is just my off the cuff you know this is what i think of it but that's not to say i can go back and love it more hate it more you know it's just things change but that's why i like to do it fresh because it's what's your initial reaction to this you know but and, this is awesome. Which means something. Yeah. Um, but it's tough when you when it's your own movie, I feel like... I mean, I know I, this wasn't my movie and I gave it a five, but a lot of the times when it's your own movie, you're picking it and you already kind of know where you're heading with what sure. you're rating. So... Yeah, I agree. But, yeah, we all three, I mean, recommend this for sure. Uh, it's it's amazing whether you like werewolf movies or not. It's just, it's fun. I mean, if, if you come for some, some comedy, it's fun. So it's got a little bit of everything, so... Uh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't say it's too scary for people. Nah, like you're, nah. um, not at all. But this is streaming on Amazon Prime uh, for sure. So if you want to check it out there, go for it. All right. So our third and final movie this episode was myself. I brought one of my, um, I think all-time favorites. Uh, just something I really enjoy. It was uh, 1990s Tremors. It was directed by Ron Underwood, and it was produced by Galen Hurd, who, if anybody watches The Walking Dead, she's actually one of the producers, one of the big minds behind it. Um, and this stars, uh, it's got a, a pretty good cast. It's got uh, Kevin Bacon as the main star, um, Michael Gross, who some people may have heard of, and uh, Reba McIntyre. This was actually her first ever film. So um, she really hasn't aged that much, I can say, from 1990 till now. Um, but anyway, so essentially... Um, it's, it's this small town, um, uh, it's Perfection, Nevada, and we start out, we meet Val and Earl, and there are a couple of handymen, um, working in this town. This town is a population of, like, 14, like, yeah, 14, there you go, I was gonna say, like, 10 people, um, and it's just this, you know, it's Nevada, it's just this dusty desert town of nothing going on, and Earl and Val are, you know, kind of sick of doing their handyman role and taking people's garbage out and, you know, digging up septic tanks and stuff, they're just sick of it, so... They decide one day that they're going to, you know, pack up and leave for a, a town called Bixby. It's about 40 miles away, and you start better lives. Well, on their way out, they start, they 
come upon um, it's like he's like the town drunk and he's up stuck on this electrical tower and they just assume he's drunk and he climbed up there you know for whatever reason he would well they go up to investigate and Valentine ends up finding him dead you know clutching a rifle and he's like what the hell you know like why would this guy do this so they take him to this the town doctor and you know they're like you know what did he die of a heart attack and the guy examines him and he said no he died of dehydration so they're like, you know, why would he, why would he sit up there and allow himself to die of thirst? That makes no sense, especially the town drunk. It's kind of a little joke. But um, they go back to warn the town, and they basically start to come across a couple more townspeople that have been are missing or have been killed. So they think there's a serial killer on the loose. So um, they go to try to drive to Bixby to get some help, and they come to find out that the road has been damaged by like a rock slide so they go back and they take a couple horses from the town and try to ride out well on their ride the horses get attacked um by this you know snake looking monster from the ground and um you know so they end up getting on a rock and they there's a um, college student she's a geologist and they run into her and you know She's like, you know, what's going on? Have you guys noticed anything strange? You know, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of weird readings from my machines here. And, you know, they end up finding out that these monsters are the ones doing it. So, um, essentially it's, they get back to the town and it's about them in the small town trying to survive what they coin as graboids. And it's these, you know, worm-like monsters that are under the ground and they come up and they, they sense the vibrations. They don't, they they don't, they're subterranean, they don't have any eyes, you know, any ears, they can just sense your, um, vibrations, that's how they get you, so, um, it was, yeah, I, I mean, I, don't, I guess we can spoil it at the, at the end, but, um, it was a creature feature, um, totally practical, the monsters, I think, are super, super well done, I don't think we've really seen anything like this before, I mean, they kind of look like, I don't know, like these big fat worm creatures um, with these like this big like beak-like mouth that opens up, and then you have these like three snake-like things that look like little devils that shoot out, and they kind of grab you and pull you into the monster itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, you guys want to talk about it a little bit? And I can go first. Okay. Uh, just because I was, it was a first time watch for me, so I thought, like, this is the freshest opinion, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, it was it, it was a fun movie. Um, like Brant mentioned, it's kind of like just a fun little creature feature that you'd probably pop, you'd watch on a Sunday or yeah. something. Um, Don't take it too serious. I mean, it's just for fun. Right. Uh, this is something really random that I liked about it that you probably won't even understand. But um, I mentioned in the past that I'm a huge fan of the TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. And there's an episode with a like a, a worm monster graboid type thing <laughs> and i just feel like this movie would be like what that would be paying homage to oh, like yeah. um so it's kind of cool to see that like where it might have where the original idea came from yeah um but <clears throat> yeah it was a fun movie like i really liked the creature design um I'm assuming this is an original idea. Like, they didn't really have anything like that out before, did they? No, and actually, um, I had some fun facts about it. So, um, the premise actually came to the screenwriter. He was in a, a rocky, like, south, southwestern hike um, 
and he basically just he said he had a job working as an editor at a navy base in the middle of, of the desert and um on weekends when they weren't shooting at the gun ranges he was allowed to go hiking and he said one day he was out climbing over large boulders and he had a thought and he said you know what if something was under the ground and i couldn't get off this rock and so he jotted the idea down years later you know it became the, the screen and they actually based um the graboids they weren't based off any one thing they threw bits of um elephants crocodiles dinosaurs rhinos slides I, and catfish into their sketches and that's how it became i, I definitely thing. feel jaws inspiration oh yeah um that's definitely something i could see them drawing inspiration from which huge jaws fan so that was cool um it kind of felt like a like a redneck out in the desert version of jaws with like a b-movie twist to it you want to sound funny i'm gonna sorry i'm gonna interject real quick another fun fact so um the working title for this during pre-production was land sharks they actually (laughs) had to change it because um snl had a recurring character called land shark to spoof jaws so they were forced to change it which actually i think is funny and better because land sharks to me sounds more comedy than horror whereas Mm -hmm. tremors i think encapsulates the monster itself and it just sounds cooler so yeah it's fun fact sorry i mean to... well i was gonna just say earlier replace the boulders with a boat and um i mean they were essentially throwing little sticks of, i mean that yeah. like they were homemade sticks of dynamite which i think jaw gets and ends up getting exploded by a propane tank that he shoots but Correct. i mean it's a, well, you can see the comparison and yeah. even moving further like they were they kept climbing on top of things and then like when it would hit it and kind of like knock it they would start sliding down kind of like in Jaws as well. Yeah, there's another, I've got another little um, part of my little fun facts that touches on Jaws, but I don't know that I ever really, I mean, I think maybe like I, I get it, but I don't think I ever really drew a comparison to Jaws watching on man, but that makes a lot well, of sense. That's and good. I brought up a good point. Yeah, there. no, that's that's really good for sure. So anyway, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to pop in yeah, there. Yeah, I just, I, I kind of covered, it's good creature design. It's, it's a fun time. Um, I like to see where other things that I've watched in my life have drawn inspiration from something like this or where the connection of what this drew inspiration from um I feel like it's got to be like this huge cult following sort of thing and oh yeah um pretty relevant with pop culture uh still going today we're at our like sixth sequel and there there was a tv series in the works to start Kevin Bacon again but it it didn't get off the ground but it somebody might pick it up so it's tremors is still going strong yeah yeah, and I, I remember at one point I was at like Dollar Tree and they have they have movies there for a dollar and I picked up Tremors two on DVD just because it was a dollar and I ever I had been uh, recommended like people have recommended it before and I was just gonna watch the second one just to kind of dip my feet in but luckily you um, showed this and now I can either watch that on my own unless you plan on showing it. But... It was one that I probably would bring because it's it's close enough to the first one and it has um, enough of like one of the main characters in it, and I feel like it's it's close enough that I'd bring it worse. You know, some sequels just totally go off the rails or and, and take the, the main concept but do their own thing, but this was very close. So, you know, one or the other, but, yeah, I, I'm glad you I'm glad you were able to see it finally. RJ, what do you think? Uh, I, so I probably saw this when I was... I want to say when I was eight. So, <laughs> 20 years ago. Damn, I'm old. Mm-hmm. Um... And initially, I can't remember what my reaction was, but um, I think the main thing you can hit on is originality. 
Um, you can make the Jaws comparison, but it's essentially a Predator movie. So it, you can give it its own dues, not comparing it directly to Jaws, but I, I liked how they come up with the, co not the costume, but the look of, I don't know what you would call it, the... The Graboids? Is that the technical term for it? Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's known as a Graboid. Um, you want to know another fun fact? Sprinkle this in. Sure. They actually only had one full-length Graboid they used for that entire movie. So while there, we actually see four, there was actually only one. It was a one-of-a-kind dummy that they used the entire time. Well, and you... I, I, what was the budget on this movie? The budget was... One second. Well, I will get some dead air here. Um, let me vamp a little bit. The budget was... Well, he's looking... $11 million. Did it, see, did it say how much it made? Um, so the box office said $16 million and some change, but that was probably just box office only, not taking into account DVD sales and stuff. So, I mean, it made its budget back at least. That's probably the only one that had a theatrical release, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and... I mean, I, I enjoyed it when I was a kid, and I still enjoy it. It's it's not a movie that I absolutely love. I mean, it's not a movie that I could, you know, watch again and again. But it's I think it's something that people should watch, and it's something that I enjoyed. Um, what I was going to say about the make of the creature, it's... I don't know, there's there's some parts of it where you can you can tell, like, the mini graphoids are kind of cheap. Oh, sure. But when it gets up close, or, like, when there's a... A scene where um, one of the creatures hits like a cement wall and it almost breaks through, but it basically gives itself a... Kills itself. Yeah. And um, when it's oozing and stuff like that, it looks a lot more realistic. So, I mean, there's there's lots of good good points on as far as like makeup and, yeah, there's no and stuff like that. I mean, it's all practical effects completely. So that's what I'm saying. Like, there's some parts where you can see it, but you can, I think you can nitpick on any movie like that. Sure. So overall, I would, I would say that the creature was, was pretty well done. And TJ... <laughs> TJ had even kind of mentioned, he's like, oh, do they, you know, do they just start off that size? So this was a first watch for TJ. Yeah. I had seen it, again, 20 years ago, Brent, I'm not sure. I don't know. I've seen it more than 20 times. I actually just showed it to Gabby. Like, more than 20 times? Yeah, yeah I love this movie. I showed this, I showed this to Gabby, like, three weeks ago, so I like, just what watched was, it. What was her reaction? She we should, liked We it. should bring her down here. She liked it. She we should bring good. her down here. Yeah, she might be asleep, but yeah. She, uh, we can go take the microphone up to her. Yeah, she liked it. She might smack us. <laughs> Yeah, she liked it. Um, one gripe I have with this, and it's not the movie's fault at all, but um, initially there were a lot more uh, instances of the word fuck in this movie. I'm not going to say F-bombs because we're grown-ups. Like, I'm not going to. I'm just going to say it. But um, it, to make it more... Mr. Big Balls over there. That's right. To make it more box office friendly, they wanted to make it PG-13, and with PG-13 you're allowed to have one non-sexual use of the word fuck. So, I didn't catch this as a kid, but as a, on a rewatch now as an adult, there's a few instances where they say, you can tell that initially they had said a lot dirtier of a word, and they try and, like, dumb it down or PG it up, which that kind of irritates me, and it's not the movie's fault, I don't hold that against it, but it makes me mad because it's like, it just cheapens it to me, because they obviously had the intent to make it more adult, and they had to kind of bring it back a little bit. So that's kind of irritating. Um, one thing I do like is that we didn't find out where the Graboids came from, um, and both the writer and the co-writer thought it'd be more realistic if they never revealed where they came from, because, you know, sometimes, like we've mentioned before, you know, I don't, 
I don't want too bright of a light shown on the creature or the monster. I don't I don't need to know its every detail and background. You know, I, I leave some mystery up to it and just kind of assume. You know, at one point we see the characters like maybe it's from outer space. Maybe the government designed it. You know, maybe it was it predates the fossil record. Maybe it was always here. And then the one the scientist is like, then how have we not noticed it all these years? You know, so I thought that was cool how they just you, we never really find out where they come from in this. Um, we mentioned Reba McIntyre. Uh, this was actually her first movie, and she actually postponed her honeymoon to uh, finish shooting this, which I thought was was pretty cool. Um, She's in this movie accent and all. Yeah, I, I love her. I, I, Reba's just classic, and I thought, you know, she was... My favorite character is Bert, um, the no-nonsense, like, military badass, and, like, Bert and Heather are what you consider, like, preppers these days. Like, they're, you know... They're government conspiracists and you know, the world. The, yeah, exactly. They have their they have their bunker with five years of food and rations and you know all their guns and stuff. And I just I don't know. I thought that was that was very funny. Um, Which ironically, one of the creatures ends up busting through their basement wall. Yeah. Gets partially stuck, and is basically just shot practice for them. They just have an entire wall filled with guns. And they just. They go through, they empty out, what was it, like six guns before they go to the elephant An gun. elephant gun. And then they just <laughs> yeah. blow, like it opens its mouth and they just blow the inside of it out. It's just... yeah. I was going to ask you guys, uh, what was your favorite, oh, switch up, instead of favorite kill, what was your favorite instance of the Graboid being killed? Because they all four obviously are killed, so what was your favorite? I liked the one that when they had him fly out, like when he's like, can you fly? The very end? Yeah, yeah that was cool. Okay. Because that was oh, the first time you got to like see the whole thing. Yeah, like, in I was gonna. That was actually one thing that I was gonna pick too. Um, it, it's the it's the most creative. It's funny. It's it's yeah. Valentine's plan. Uh, mine was the one you just mentioned where uh, Bert and Heather are on the CB radio and everybody's trying to warn them <laughs> the and they're like, "Well, we can't hear you." And you see the monster break through and they're like, "Oh my god!" And then it, the the shot goes back to everybody up, is up on the roof in the town at this point. And the shot goes back to them, on, and they're on the CB radio, and, and you hear silence. And they're like, the look on their faces, they don't say it, but the look on their faces says, it just got them. You know, we just lost them, too. And then all of a sudden, in the distance, you hear, boom! You hear all these gunshots, and the, the characters perk up like, oh my god, they're fighting them! <laughs> and Bert and Heather are literally walk back to this wall, and are just unlo- just pulling guns off the wall, and just unloading into this thing. And it just, I don't know, that that scene always stuck is stuck with me, and I just, I love it. Again, I love Bert. And uh, Bert is in every one of the sequels, and he's very fleshed out. Bert. Good old Bert going. Should we rate? Um, yeah, I had a couple more things real quick. Um, so there was they actually used a tentacle hand puppet. Um, it was built, and some of the writers actually thought it was. They thought it was kind of cheesy and basic, and they didn't like it. Um, but the the effects artist made it, and um, it became pretty helpful during some of the difficult shots, so uh, that was funny that they kind of didn't want to do it, but they ended up sticking with it. Um, another one of my favorite scenes, um, the characters are being chased inside of this little shop, and um, you see the Graboids, it calls them humps, the Graboids are moving through the ground. Um, they were actually achieved uh, by a boat buoy, so kind of like Jaws again. Um, they chained these buoys to a truck and they drug them, uh, through underground troughs the team created. Um, and it made like the tunneling effect and you see flying dirt all over the place. And uh, the part I had mentioned is 
at the characters are running and you see a shot going behind them and you see these um, like wooden floorboard just like kind of rising up and going with the graboid and I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, so we can we can go ahead and and uh, and rate it if you guys want. I'll let you guys go first. Um. Well, like I said before, this isn't a movie that I love, but it's definitely a movie that I enjoyed, and um, I I'd say I'd probably give it a three. Um, it's nothing. Nothing I wouldn't recommend. TJ. Um, my rating is a three point five. Um, this is a 4.5 for me. Uh, it's a movie I've loved since I was a kid. The first time I saw it, I mean, it's, it's, I think it, some movies, some horror comedies lean one way too far. And I think this kind of toes the line perfectly. Um, it's fun. It's funny. It's well paced. Um, the creatures are awesome. The practical effects are great. The jokes hit home for me. So, um, it's one I'd highly recommend. I love it. It's, it's a it's a complete gem. So um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Like I said, there's I think there's four other sequels. Plus there was a TV series for a while. Um, so it's it's still going strong. So check it out. All right. Um, anything else? No, you, we don't want to like announce what we're doing. Yeah. Well, we'll go I was to, just uh, gonna ask that. Yeah. We'll we'll go around and announce our next picks. Uh, so I'm up first next month, August. So. I'm going to show these guys Cube. Um, it is a Canadian horror movie from the 90s. Um, I think that it saw heavily and was inspired by this movie a lot. So I'm going to show these guys Cube. Um, I had started... So I, originally I wanted to pick my favorite out of Friday the 13th series, Nightmare on Elm Street series, and Halloween series. Um, so I picked... Friday the 13th Part 6 for my favorite Friday the 13th movie, and I'm not sure which um, which I'll do from Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street, but it's either going to be Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors or the first Halloween. Nice. I, haven't, I haven't decided yet. Okay. DJ? What will it be? He's he's looking a little nervous or like he's not <laughs> sure yet. No, I just, I have a couple, <laughs> I guess several different ones, like... <laughs> Well, you don't have to lock it in now. If you, I mean, you can, you can throw a few out there and make your decision later. I mean, they're gonna do Hatchet, the Faculty, or the Final Girls. Okay. But I was gonna talk to Brent and have him help me decide because most likely we know RJ hasn't seen any of those, but I'll figure out which one he hasn't seen and yeah. we'll go from there. So stay tuned. So um, we'll plug the social media real quick. Um, the Facebook group is Death by Stereo. So. Please, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, like us on there. Uh, we try to post fairly frequently. Um, comment, you know, give us suggestions of things you want to see, things we can improve either way. Um, TJ, hit him with the email address, please. Yeah, it's uh, deathstereopodcast at gmail.com. And if you guys want, um, go ahead and make recommendations if you want to. Um, that was something that I personally enjoyed getting a viewer's uh, thoughts on a movie that he had personally recommended. So that's definitely something that was really cool and something that I personally would like for us to do again in the future. Yeah, two of the three of us haven't seen it, and you you heard how much we gush over it. So that, I mean, if you if there's a movie out there we haven't shown yet that you love and think we might like, please you know give us a suggestion and we we'd love to hear it. So thanks for listening. All right. Peace out, guys. Bye. All right.
with me.